G'day, I'm Megan Woodward and this is Crop to Top, the Cotton Info podcast. Conversations to help you grow. G'day and welcome to today's Cotton Info podcast and we are talking all things cotton retention and we're very lucky a cast of thousands included in this podcast today. You'll hear quite a few voices but all of them familiar no doubt to all of you. We have got our regional extension officers from across New South Wales joining us today in Janelle Montgomery, Amanda Thomas and Kieran O'Keefe, as well as our Cotton Info tech lead for IPM, Paul Grundy. Now, those of you that heard some of the wrap-up from the Cotton Research Conference in September, you would have seen in the Cotton Info newsletter that there are some new retention trials that were done in the last season, and we've got some new guidelines that are in the brand new Cotton Pest Management Guide that has just hit your letterboxes in the last month. So we're going to take a deep dive into that today. So I'm going to hand over to Paul Grundy now, who did the trials. I would like to get a bit of an overview from you first, Paul, about what it involved and where the idea came from, the premise of these retention trials. Hi, Megan. Good to be with you and with your listeners. With the ever-increasing yield potential of Bulgar 3 varieties now, we thought it was a good time to go back and have a look at the relationship between retention, particularly early season retention, and yield potential. 20-odd years ago, before the Bulgar 2 era commenced, people were kind of used to seeing a bit of fruit loss and were used to factoring in plant compensation into their decision-making. When Bulgar 2 came along, for the first time for a lot of people, people actually got to see crops that sometimes had really high retention. And we would see crops, particularly early season, more often than not with retention up around that 80-90%. And as time's gone on, there seems to have been a bit of a shift in thinking throughout the industry where people have developed a perception that these very high retentions that happen in some seasons if there's low mirrored activity or low thrip activity have become important for the yield potential that we're seeing. So the outworking of all of this really has led to what we've seen in some of the statistics around people's impressions of retention and also spray practices and that we're seeing a bit more spraying activity, particularly early in the season, targeting myriads or thrips from the perspective of increasing retention. And I guess there was some uncertainty around the relationship between differences in early season retention and what ultimately that your potential is. But what we do know is that a lot of that early season spraying is potentially making some of our secondary pest issues worse. So things such as mites, silverleaf whitefly, mealybugs, and something that a lot of people are familiar with in the season that was just passed, aphid outbreaks. And we actually saw not only a lot of aphid outbreaks, but also the advent of group one insecticide resistance. So that being dimethoate and pyrimacarb essentially due to early season dimethoate use targeting mirrors and thrip activity. So all of these things in the mix was, I guess, impetus to go and relook at this whole relationship of retention versus yield potential in this era of high yielding Bulgard 3. So what did the trials look like? And I guess give us an idea of the basis of what the trials showed that essentially have delivered us these new guidelines for managing retention this season. We wanted to get an understanding of how plants were compensating. So because we can't rely on insects to always turn up and do that job for us, we went about doing this by inflicting onto these crops artificial damage. So we set up 
treatment plots within commercial cotton growers' fields. And in those plots, we basically removed squares from those plants. And we had a number of treatments where we removed all of the squares from particular groups of fruiting branches on the plants. Once the crop had grown about five to six fruiting branches, one of the treatments was we went in and removed all of the squares off those first five fruiting branches. We had another treatment where we did that for the fruiting branches six to ten. So we left a bit of fruit at the bottom, gap in the middle, and then plant compensated on top. And then we had an extreme treatment just for curiosity more than anything else where we did damage twice. But in effect, we removed all of the squares off ultimately those first 10 fruiting branches. Those crops were then left to their own devices. So no one did anything special to encourage compensation. These were just plots in farmers' fields. And then we came back and did measurements on those crops to see how the plants responded. And ultimately, at the end of the season, had a look at what the yield of those plots were, what the lint quality of those plots were, how did it affect crop maturity and the likes. And this is really where the REOs came into their own. We wanted to do this work throughout the industry because we know we've got climatic differences between the far south and, for example, central Queensland at Emerald. So we wanted to have plots throughout the industry and also over a number of seasons. And in fact, this work spanned a really hot year. Then we spanned somewhat normal year. Now, last year was probably a bit wetter than average as we went into those La Nino years. But it was really important to get a spread of seasons and a spread of locations. And that's what made it, in the end, quite a large team effort. Absolutely. I would love to hand over now to Kieran O'Keefe. Kieran, you're in southern New South Wales. I would love to know your first thoughts when Paul first picked up the phone and said, G'day, mate. I'm after a trial where I'd like to give some artificial damage and some extreme treatment, and we'd like you to damage these crops nice and early and damage them twice, remove squares off your first five fruiting branches. What was your initial reaction to that, Kieran? Well, initially, I thought there's no way we're going to be able to compensate for such damage. I remember when I was actually doing the damage, there was a farm worker went by a few times over a few hours and he said to the farm manager, that guy down there has moved for hours. And it took a long time to actually go and inflict the damage. So it was really surprising to see the compensation that happened. Absolutely. Was there similar thoughts in your minds, Amanda and Janelle? I'll bring you in here in regards to that early stage when you were first starting to damage those crops early season. Within our valley, we sort of have two valleys, like a warmer end and a cooler end. And I thought it was really important that I needed to do it in both ends. But I was pretty sure that maybe the northern end of the valley near Warren would compensate, but the sort of cooler end of the valley near Trangy wouldn't. And so it was actually a really good exercise and overall we did it twice so we really cemented it in our mind it wasn't just a one-off or a seasonal thing. Yeah and the ability to actually run them across all the regions so we had quite different environments where we were running these trials and across the three years was really important because once again the climates differed over those three years the 2020-21 season being particularly cooler and wetter so it was great to have that range I guess of environments to run these trials the Guida, we're lucky to have a longer season than some of the other valleys, but certainly they've got that perception that they need to have this high retention early on. 
So really interesting your takes on early start of this trial. Paul, I'll bring you back in. What did we start to see? And we've had some indication there from all three of our extension officers today that obviously things started to produce some pretty surprising results as the trial went on. Yeah, they certainly did, Megan. What we found was that at the end of the day, Bolgard three crops are fantastically good at compensating. Where those squares were initially lost, the plant basically compensates quite rapidly and it would hold a square adjacent to that lost position, so a little bit further out on that same fruiting branch. Or if it didn't produce one there, it would hold an extra square, which would become a bowl on those next couple of branches immediately above where that damage had been inflicted on the plant. And what this essentially led to is that we had very rapid compensation. So all of the compensation, even from those extreme treatments where we took squares off up to 10 fruiting branches, the compensation response from the plant was basically completed by the time that our undamaged comparison plots had reached cutout. So it's very rapid. And this is a function of Bolgard 3 because it is relatively insect proof. And we're not getting caterpillar damage. The plants can compensate very rapidly. It's also a function of just the varieties that we're growing today that have come out of CSIRO breeding program. So we found that when we got to the end of the season, there really wasn't any material difference, particularly for the early damage where we just damaged those first fried fruiting branches. Basically, about two weeks before first flower, we stripped the plants is kind of more or less the time frame. That treatment, no material difference in maturity. Across 33 sites, we didn't have a difference in yield. And lint quality, importantly, was also not negatively affected either. We made base grade in all of these different trial sites from the south all the way to the north. And that's really a function of the fact that that compensation happens so quickly that there's not a lag in development, which would normally give rise to some of those sorts of issues. Yeah, they're incredible results. And obviously, it's the quality and yield, which is the big thing that people would have at not the back of their minds, the very forefront of their minds. Kieran, I'd like to come back to you. What surprised you most about the way the compensation actually held and by the end of season that there wasn't any obvious effects? I think in the second year, we investigated uh, the damage was one to five, but we did it across four different Bolgard three varieties. And there wasn't a variety difference, even though we know 746 puts its fruit on later, there was no difference in the variety. So that was quite a big takeaway from my point of view. Definitely. Amanda, I'm interested to know, obviously, it's quite a different way of thinking in this particular sphere. How do you go, I guess, assuring people on the ground that this is something that has been tried and tested and has laid the basis for these new guidelines? I think the early retention, when we really started to focus on it, at some point, there is only five squares on those plants. And, you know, if you lose 2.5 of them, you've only got 50% retention. I think people have this percentage in their brain that I've just lost 50% of my fruit and that means I need to really spray and, you know, I can't lose another square. So it's those early spray decisions that are very emotive for consultants and growers because often you're coming out of a period where you may have fruit damage and things and it's just in your mind to not lose another square in that early stage, we need to protect everything. But for me, to see it replicated over the two seasons and across all the valleys, it actually, as someone who does grow cotton, our consultants always hasn't sprayed 
early and it just cemented that in my mind that you know it's actually more than okay to compensate and also you're really smoothing your path for your spray decisions going forward. If you spray early, you will spray often. And so for us, keeping those beneficials and just having that in my mind was really something that it cemented. And I hope we can get our story across and do the same for others. It's worth mentioning too that the fields where we ran the trials, they were in a commercial field. So those trials were actually managed as it was for the rest of the field, just as the grower would manage his own crop and they were still able to compensate. So I don't think it matters whether you're targeting a yield of 11 bales or 15 bales. These trials have shown certainly have the ability to compensate early season damage. That's a really good point, you know, and probably didn't get mentioned. The yield range of these crops, we had a couple of skip row crops that were dry land. They obviously were lower yield potential, sort of around that seven to eight bales per hectare. But we also had a couple of sites that did 15 to 16 bales per hectare. The average across those 33 sites was 12 bales per hectare. And where we pulled that early fruit off, the yields across those 33 sites, if we just do a basic average, it was 12.1 bales versus 12 bales for where no damage was done, just to sort of put that yield range into perspective. And it was pretty amazing. The extreme treatment where we've damaged fruiting branches one to 10, like they really were extreme treatments and they looked terrible in the field. But visually over the season, you could see the differences and how the crops compensated, which is really good for our cooperators to actually see that, you know, that one to 10 was always higher in amongst the trial treatments. Yeah, and Janelle, that one in particular, like we had 29 sites where we implemented that particular treatment. We couldn't do it at a couple of the southern sites, but 20 out of the 29 sites where we more or less stripped all the fruit off the first 10 branches, which is a level of damage no one would ever contemplate accepting. 20 of those 29 sites fully compensated with no difference in yield or um, lint quality. So it really just goes to show the recuperative power of cotton and we're not advocating that level of damage but it just shows what that plant can do particularly in those warmer regions at the nine sites where it did cause yield loss probably no surprise to a lot of listeners that that happened in our southern locations so there is limits to compensation but again that treatment was extreme and certainly extreme in relation to i guess the recommendations that we're putting forward to industry i wonder if sometimes environmental conditions leads to square loss and it's easy to point the finger ah must be insects so spraying goes on and um, you know when we get cool nights in december down here it can get down to five six degrees and we just see square loss that's a really good point kieran and look one of the great things about these new guidelines is we've hopefully captured both physiological shedding and loss of squares in relation to insects so these recommendations they're conservative so we're not advocating that there's never a need to spray or that retention isn't important because we do know that at a certain point in time retention does become critically important for your potential so what we've done with these guidelines is we've got recommendations around the early squaring period then the period from first flower through to cutout, and then after that. The recommendations are conservative in that basically we're not triggering action at different stages until retention falls to around that 40% level. But even then, the guidelines take into account 
is that loss of retention physiological? It has a cause. It could be cool conditions or is it caused by insects? So it seeks to look at the scenario that's in your field, take into account insects, takes into account where the plant is at developmentally and growth-wise, and also some of those physiological factors. And it brings all those things in together to provide what I'm hoping is a dynamic threshold and to get people thinking about retention in a different way other than just a specific number. Oh, I've got 50% retention, I better go out and do something. It's a little bit more dynamic than that, and it should work very well across the industry because it's based off data that was collected from throughout the industry. And I might just add in too, I think, you know, having done this work for two years in our valley, last season we got extensive drift damage early season And I was able to show some growers that were really upset about what was happening. If we give these plants time, they will compensate. So actually, we could prove that you can set fruit later and still compensate. And so that was another use for that information that we've got. And I reckon Amanda's point, spray early, spray often. This project's been so important in just getting growers and agronomists confidence in how the plant can compensate. We've got insecticide issues And if we also spray early, you know, we can flare other pests such as mites, aphids and silverleaf whitefly. So this trial is providing some confidence to just sit tight, hold back and really choose your chemical wisely if you do have to spray early season. Absolutely. I think fundamentally this has shown us that cotton can just be so, so resilient and there's a lot of support there for the plant. And obviously we've got these guidelines now that can help us early season. Paul, to finish up, where can people access these new guidelines and find out some more information about these trials we've been talking about? The new guidelines are in this year's edition of Cotton Pest Management Guideline. They're pretty much at the front of the book. I think they're on about page 10 or 11. There's a set of recommendations, but also some explanatory information in terms of how to differentiate, for example, that physiological shedding that might be caused by cool temperatures from insect damage. So there's a lot of supporting information in there. Also how to differentiate early fruiting branches from vegetative branches because those branches will develop squares in a different way. And if you get those branches confused, that can alter your perception of retention. So all of that information is in the Cotton Pest Management Guide. Hopefully this podcast provides a bit of information. There's also a new video on the Cotton Info YouTube site. So there's plenty of information out there for people to access and hopefully gain a bit of confidence around this because it does take a lot of courage not to spray and to trust that plant's ability that, you know, if we just tick those basic boxes, it will do its bit and get things right. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Paul Grundy, for joining us today and Janelle Montgomery, Amanda Thomas and Kieran O'Keefe. Thanks for joining us on the Cotton Info Crop to Top podcast.